Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope that these messages encourage and inspire you in your personal journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. The devil is a liar. Come on, somebody. Well, honored to be here. Thank you, Pastor G, for your kind words. Yes, we'll always be family. But just in case y'all were wanting to know, no, we're not related. Uh, I mean, we got, we got the same father. Amen. Come on, somebody. But our hairline is related. But other than that, there is no family connection. Uh, man, Pastor G and Yolanda are so near and dear to our hearts. And uh, I'm, a, I'm grateful uh, that, that there are still people within the body of Christ that care about people and not position that care about people, not process, and care about people more than place. And uh, so excited to see what the Lord is doing here and uh, honored to be here today. I know that the Lord has been stirring something in you as you guys have been in this identification series. Has anybody been getting anything out of it? Come on. You know, uh, the, the, the reality I think that, that exists on a big picture kind of realm here is that the enemy is always trying to attack our identity. One of the things you want to look at when you're trying to understand this enemy that we're fighting is the patterns. If you go all the way back to the garden, there was an attack on who God was. So there was an attack on the, there was an attack that the enemy used on the identity of who God was. So he deceived Adam right off the bat and he said, did God say this? He questioned God's identity. And and, and what happens is as we go through life, Jesus sets us free, he redeems us, but the enemy is still always trying to attack this idea of who we are and who we are supposed to be. So I know that the Lord is stirring something in you. I know that there is a unique word that he wants to give you today. So I am just going to kind of jump right in, but before I do, I want to pray. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Father, thank you. Got an opportunity to discover your identity, to discover who you are. And God, I'm thankful that as we know more about you, as we understand your intentions, as we understand your character, as we understand your motives, God, we're better able to understand who we are in you. So God, thank you for setting us apart. I thank you for each son and daughter that are sitting in here, those that are called by your name. God, thank you for the plans that you have for them. God plans to to give them a hope and an expected end. God, I'm so grateful that there's an expected end that's good that you have for us. So God, today, give us spiritual eyes to see into that expected end that we would walk by faith and obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I can tell you that this message will only be as good as you apply it to your life. So I'm grateful for the encouragement after a teaching, man. Oh, pastor, that was awesome, man. You knocked it out of the park. It was great. It really ministered to me, and that's awesome, and I love being able to hear that encouragement, knowing that the word that was given has, has fell on good ears, but the word really that's given is really only good as the measure that it's lived out in your life, so it does no good for you to take all of these great things you've heard in this series and not chew on it and ruminate on it and apply it to your life, so I want to encourage you Note-takers are world changers. That's not in the Bible, but that's just a cute phrase that I've come to say. It's important. There's only so much you're able to absorb in a setting like this, and it's important 
It's, it's one of the things that God can help guide us in our, our, our devotional time and during the week is that we have a, a certain specific that he's speaking to us on the weekend that we're able to dissect and chew on because we know that there's only so much we can absorb. Amen? So I say all that to say, uh, if you're taking notes, awesome. If you're not taking notes, take notes. <laughs> so for the note takers, I, I want to present a couple questions to you to, to really get your, your mind thinking, you know, as we've been in this series, uh, a, a couple thoughts, a couple uh, questions I want you to write down if you're, if you're taking notes. Again, we're talking about identity, identification. So first question is, who has shaped you? Second question, what things have shaped you? So there's the who, what things, what experiences, what challenges, what information has shaped you? Third question, when did the shaping take place? When has the greatest shaping take place, have taken place in your life? Maybe it was your childhood. Maybe it was your middle adult years. Maybe it's in your elderly years. You see that your, your, your character, your, identif- your, your identity has been really grafted and really kind of uh, come into being in maybe just the last few years even. So when did the shaping take place? Why have you allowed it to shape you? What about it? why have you allowed that to shape you? <clears throat> and the, maybe the, and the last question is, how have you been shaped? So kind of just almost like a who, what, when, where, why, how. Like, how have you been shaped? What, what are the different ways you've been shaped? Because here's the reality. Jesus, we're, we're called by God, and, and we have a new identity, and uh, that, that's, that's good, and that's the reality. But here, here's another reality, is that Jesus is not the only thing shaping your life. He's not. I mean, it's just the reality of the world that we live in. And, and some of it's okay, and some of it is God-ordained and God-driven, but some of it is not. So it's important for us to understand, if we want to know, who are we? Like, God, who are we? What did you give us to do here on this earth? It's important to ask these questions and say, okay, uh, here's who I, I think I am right now. How did I get to where I'm at today? So, again, these aren't questions you want to answer right now, but these are maybe just some things that you can ponder uh, as we kind of finish out this series and as you go into your week, Jesus isn't the only thing. Knowledge, experiences, and most importantly, people. People have shaped your life. I want to submit to you not only, and this is kind of the main point of, of the message. I'll just give it to you right now. Not only is our identity found in Jesus Christ, but it is found and our identity will only be realized in the relational context of our new brothers and sisters in Christ. Your identity will not be established apart from other believers. Here's what, here's what and I'll get into this a little bit. There is, we, we have adopted this thought that, uh, and it's kind of like an American Christian culture idea of, of who God is and what priorities follow. So we say God first, and then we say family second, and we say church, and then we say work and everything after that. But really, a biblical context is God's family, then the church, and then everything after that. So what we've done unintentionally, really, is we have almost put a chasm between our relationship with God and with God's family. Here's an interesting thought, and again, I'm not going to peer back too much, but the reality is that there, the word personal Savior is found nowhere in the Old Testament or New Testament. There's a reality to our walk with God that can only be lived out, understood, and realized in the context of relationship with one another. 
There are many positive influences. I'm grateful for this country. I'm grateful for the opportunities that we get. I'm thankful for some of the freedoms that we have, freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom to share the gospel. But here's the reality as it comes to being a Christ follower in this culture that we live in today. There there are some things that are potentially keeping us from knowing who we are and keeping us from doing life together. Uh, Western culture, and we say Western culture, you know, the Western world, you think of like Europe and America. Uh, Western culture has shaped us in a way that says your identity is established in a personal, individualistic construct. And this thought is pervaded throughout our culture And what it's done is it's crept into the church and has allowed us to be in this place to say uh, what my desires, goals, dreams are become the most important thing in my walk. And it's a place that we've kind of maybe subtly moved into. And there's a great book, and uh, I'd encourage you, this book that I've been going through, it's by a a gentleman named Joseph uh, Hellerman, and it's called When Church Was Family. And he outlines this part, and I'm, I'm going to take a couple parts from this book. But this idea of our identity be established in an individualistic or a personal construct. And uh, it, he says that social scientists have coined a phrase associated with this behavior, and it is called radical individualism. We have been socialized to believe our own dreams, goals, personal fulfillment ought to take precedent over the well-being of any and of, of every and any group, including our church and our family. This has affected the whole way of viewing Christian faith and has profoundly compromised the solidarity of our relational commitments to one another. The world in which Jesus lived had a strong group culture. We see Jesus, he was, the, he was our Lord and Savior. He came to this earth, Jesus, uh, God sent Jesus to the earth to be the savior for the world. But one of the first things that Jesus knew he had to do was establish relationships before he could do anything. So he went and found these 12 disciples, these mits, these kind of misfits a little bit, these guys that were thrown out of the rabbinical temples and, and guys that were maybe just tax collectors and fishermen and kind of just average people by any standard. But the Lord Jesus Christ knew that he would have to establish relationship for anything significant to take place on earth, for God's will to be lived out on earth. Relationship had to be established first. There is a, uh, a radical overemphasis on a personal relationship with God. And yes, we, this, the, the, the um, responsibility of, of responding to God and saying, I choose you, Lord, that's your responsibility. Nobody can do that for you. So in a lot of ways, yes, there is a personal application to the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. But as we see it in Scripture, there was always a reality of people being saved and engrafted into a new group. People becoming a part of this collective body of people. We have in some ways compartmentalized our life and our relationship with Jesus. Again, we're trying to understand who we are. And here's the reality, and I hate to burst your bubble, so to speak, but there is somebody more important to you that Jesus loves more than you, and it's his bride. Yes, he died for you, but he also died for me too. 
So the bride, that he, he gave his life, the Bible says that he gave his life for his bride. He gave his life. The church, the ecclesia, as it's called in the Greek translation, the elect people of God, the, the body of believers, the bride of Christ is shaped by the relationships between sons and daughters. The bride of Christ. And the danger is that if we separate our relationship with Jesus as a personal matter, Apart from, loving church, from a loving church community, the bride will be terribly deficient. There are some things that you have that the body needs. I'm going to read a scripture verse in a second. But there is something unique that each and every person sitting in here, I don't care if you're five years old like Sister Torah over here, or if you're 100 years old like Pastor G. <laughs> there... <laughs> There is something unique that you, uh, there's something of value. And identity speaks to value. Identity speaks to value, and it speaks to a unique value. Something that God put his fingerprint on you that only you can do. Your uniqueness, your ability to be set apart and used for a particular purpose is only realized. It will only be realized in the context of family with your brothers and sisters, there are things that I'm good at, and there are things that I am not good at. But the beauty of the body of Christ is that God always calls us from, and you may have heard me say this before, he calls us from one people to another people. And when he surrounds us with people, God is mindful about the strengths of the different people that are around us. They may look different than us. They may act different different than us. They may smell different than us. Come on, somebody. But there is something that they have that we need to be the reflection of Jesus on this earth. We ourselves, by ourselves, cannot be a reflection of the goodness of God. 1 Corinthians 12, it's it's 12, 14 through 26. I think we're going to have it up here. I love this verse. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. For if the whole body were an eye, one thing, that would be terrible. Come on, somebody. That would be terrifying if the whole body were an eye. Uh, where, would the sense of he- where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. If you are an eye in the church, if you have great vision, but you're expecting somebody that's afoot to have great vision, you're going to be frustrated. And the danger is the enemy will at times whisper in your ear that you need to just go find a bunch of eyes and and, and, and be around a bunch of people just like you. But I want to encourage you that the eyes within the church, again, this is just metaphorically speaking, are needed and are important. And the voices, like Pastor G, is the mouth of this body, and he speaks of oracles and the wisdom of God. But he is just one part of this body. He is not the head of this body. Jesus is the head of the church. 
He is one part of the body, and we too also are a part of the body. So if you're trying to understand who you are, understand this, that you are not the whole body. You can't be the whole body, but you can serve a significant part of the body as you are connected to your brothers and sisters. Can, I, can somebody say amen? <laughs> Identity speaks to purpose. Purpose speaks to a particular function. You can't separate the reality from being and doing. Now, I know that as believers at times, we run the danger of just being human doings and not human beings. I, I recognize that we don't know how to just live in the comfort and, and live in the ultimate call of being a son and daughter of God. But there's a reality that you have a responsibility. There is something for you to do. And there is something of value, function. There's a function that you have. And as that function is understood, identity is understood, value is understood, purpose is understood, and ultimately fulfillment comes and follows that. Function, assignment. Your, your, your assignment in the world is not to be solely used for the benefit of yourself. It's to be used for the benefit of others. Here's what I want to challenge you is that what you receive from God, typically God, is not, God does not give anything so that it ends with you. God gives you something so that it goes through you. I don't care what gift it is, whether it's resource, whether it's peace, whether it's joy. God gives you those things so it can flow through you, again, the, the prayer, our Father, Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The only way we can get heaven to earth is through you. If it stops with you, it can't get to the earth. And the way that our identity is lived out is that God gives us these things, these gifts, and he's thinking about the benefit of his body. He's thinking about the benefit of his people. First Peter 4.10, God has given you each a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to what? Serve one another. Is that, do we have that right? Maybe I have a different translation. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Galatians 5.13, do we have that there? For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. God sets you free, not just for you. Yes, he who the Son sets free is free indeed, but freedom is ultimately, God is thinking about the freedom that others can experience. God, God gave Jesus to you, again, so, again, we're trying to distinguish here, all right, what, what does my identity look like lived out in my relationship with Jesus, but how is that really understood in the relationship with others? So, salvation is, is an event. So, God gave us Jesus so we can experience eternal life, but he gives you a family so you can experience deliverance. Pastor Emily said it a little while ago, she, she talked about the healing process. Salvation is, event, is an event, but deliverance is a process. Deliverance is, I know sometimes it's used like as a hyper-spiritual world, a word, but it's just simply the act of being set free. 
There is a reality that you need to walk out your freedom. There is a reality that you need to walk out your healing. Yes, God can touch you when you're healed, but there is a reality of walking that healing out in the relationships with one another. Salvation happens when you say yes to Jesus, but healing happens when you say yes to his family. And some of us are so sick spiritually, emotionally, mentally, we're lonely, we're broken, and we don't, and we just think, man, Jesus, you can do this, you can do this. And Jesus is saying, well, your brother and sister is right there. James 5.16, do you have that? Confess your trespasses, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I'm going to read it here. This is the NLT version. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Sometimes we think if we just confess our sins with Jesus, we're good, but healing comes as we confess with one another and there's accountability and relationship and we lock arms and we do life together. To be committed to God, how many want to be committed to God? Two people, I love it. I'm seasoned. I can tell you, you want to be committed to God here at this church. To be committed to God means to be committed to his family. You can't, you can't separate the two. Early Christians, there's a reality of multiplication that God expects from us. Why? Because we are formed and fashioned in his image. So God multiplies, but he told us, and one of the first commandments given to Adam and Eve was, be fruitful and multiply. And yes, that, that, that specific context in the Hebrew, uh, there's a, a, a direct tie to having children, but there's also a, a tie to just reproducing life in other people. So there is a reality that uh, we as believers need to reproduce ourselves. And the early Christians just didn't attract people by what they believe, they attract people by how they behaved. Our relationship as brothers and sisters is the attractant that draws other people to Jesus. And ultimately, it's a, it's a massive and significant part of who we are supposed to be in knowing what our identity is and the responsibility that we have, particularly how we behave with one another. And the scripture verse, I'm trying to think of it, where it's, I think it's in, um, in John 13, where he says, the world will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. So people won't know who you are in Christ if you don't have love for your brothers and sisters. That's, that's what Jesus is telling you. He says, how can, we get, how can we push this thing forward? How can other people experience the goodness of God? It's not going to happen by what they know. People aren't going to be attracted to the gospel by what you know about Jesus. I'm telling you, they're not. They're going to be attracted to the gospel by how you, how you treat your brothers and sisters because people want to be a part of something significant. And everybody needs to be needed and known. That's why I love y'all got these Activate Life groups going on. Everybody needs to be needed and known. Everybody has to have something that they feel like they can contribute. That's why if you're here, you need to be serving too. There's something of value that you have to add to be known. There's that old song from that, that show Cheers, where everybody knows your name. 
all the like millennials and Gen Zers are like, oh, what was what's he talking about? Cheers. Here's. Here, here's the truth. Here, here's the reality. Sunday morning, millions of people across churches, all across America, all across the world. People come to church every single week and are desperately lonely. They will pack out 25,000 member churches or 100 member churches and come and sit next to people and worship and leave lonely. They will come and they will feel no relational connection to one person beyond a, hey, brother, God bless you. And that wears off when you, st- when you get in your car. And then you think about getting into a Monday and going to work and getting into your week, but you have no relational connection to do life with. There is an epidemic of loneliness even in America. There's a, and this epidemic of loneliness is giving room for the enemy to keep people from understanding who they are and the value that they bring to the world. There's a couple statistics here. This is from a website for the U.S. Health Resource and Service Administration. It states the following. Loneliness and social isolation can be as damaging to a health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness. Two in five Americans report that they sometimes or always feel their social relationships are not meaningful. And one in five, we say, oh, it's just one in five. No, that's 20% of the population say they feel lonely or they are socially isolated. Relationships reduce the risk of mortality or developing certain diseases and can speed recovery in those who fall ill. Moreover, simply reaching out to lonely people can jumpstart the process of getting them to engage with neighbors and peers. Ooh, this is so powerful. This is why relationships are so powerful. They are life-giving, literally. They are life-giving. I love a scripture verse that says, uh, this is in Psalm 68. Do we have it up here? God sets the solitary in families. So another version says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads the prisoners out. I'll read it from this translation. I'm reading an NLT. You can follow it here, though. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. What is, the, what is David the psalmist saying? He's saying that God will lead you into a family. But those who do not respond to that call to walk into this family will live in a place where they are exposed and will be dried up by the affairs of life. There is a reality that we cannot adequately understand who we are, what we are supposed to do, separate from God's family. And and here's uh, uh, some some other things for you to to, to anchor into because I, I think they're really important truths. So, at times, we, we, there is more of an obligation that we feel. And I'm not saying it's bad, but this is just the reality of the world we live in to, today. We feel more of an obligation to our physical families than we do to God's family. And I, I know it's just like, well, yeah, well, that's my physical family. That's what I'm supposed to have. But I think it's in, uh, in Matthew where, where Jesus is in a house and they come to Jesus and, he's, and they say, hey, Jesus, your, your mother 
and your brothers are outside. And Jesus looked at him and he said, who are my mother and brothers? And he looked and it says that he looked around the table and he said, those that do the will of God are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. So there's a reality. I love it. When, when Pastor G started this series off, he said that God is really the CEO or God owns an adoption agency. And when I heard that, I was like, that, whew, that's shouting stuff right there. Like, God is in the business of adopting sons and daughters. The whole reason why God was like, you know what? Let me send my only begotten son there was so that he can adopt more sons and daughters. <clears throat> so, how do I get there? The reality, we have a responsibility to one another. If you want to know who you are, people, people, one of the biggest questions that believers and just people in general will have is, who am I? Why am I? Like, what, what am I supposed to be? Like, what am I supposed to be doing on this earth? It will not, it will never be understood until you are in relationship with other brothers and sisters. And you have a responsibility to commit to one another. Yeah, you will never fully know who you are until you live life with other Christ followers. Going to church and going home and not doing life with anybody else, sorry, it's not enough. We see this in Acts. We see both temple worship, it says they worship in the temple, and they broke bread together with gladness. They went house to house breaking bread together with gladness. There is both, really, the, the expression of God's people is to be lived out in the understanding of coming and receiving and worshiping, but then also going house to house and breaking bread. And let me just tell you something else. The center point of Christianity is not the pulpit. The center point of Christianity is not the pulpit. The center point of Christianity is the dinner table. We look at the Last Supper. Jesus is sitting around the table with his disciples. And it, this is the last moment where he can really deposit anything in them. And he, he's, he's getting ready to commission them and go and make disciples and all that. He says, when you do this... And a lot of times what, what we do in the church is we say when we do, when we do this, when we break bread and when we drink uh, juice or wine or whatever, do that in remembrance of me. But really a lot of what a lot of scholars say, what Jesus was really hinting at in that, he's saying that when you do this, when you do life, when you sit down and do dinner, do this in remembrance of me. Communion, just the very simple context of it, is just communing with one another. Communion, just even the act of taking communion, communion is not to be done by yourself. It's to be done. If you are just taking juice and, and breaking a cracker and doing bread by yourself, you're just having a snack. <laughs> communion. Community. Communion. Community, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. My second point here, um, first point was you will never know who you fully are until you live your, your life with other Christ followers. Second point, uh, you will never fully know what you are supposed to do until you encounter the needs of others. 
If somebody would come up and play some keys or something, that'd be cool. I'm winding down here. Emily, you come play something spiritual for us. Um, you will never fully know what you are supposed to do. Y'all paying attention to me right now? You'll never know what you're supposed to do until you encounter the needs of others. See, what, what happens is, is with this kind of culture that we live in in America, we, we say, well, the end goal is like me, me doing this. And, and we're, what we're doing is what we're negating from the equation is the lives of other people. We're just putting our life in that place and saying, here's what I want to see. Here's what I desire to see in my life. And yes, God will give you godly dreams. And it's great to reach for something. It's great to desire to be a social worker or a politician or, uh, you know, a bus driver. It's whatever it is that you have a heart to do. It's great to do those things. But always know wherever God is leading you, people, he's always thinking about people that are going to be on the other end of that. He's always thinking about the needs that are going to be on the other end of that. He's not thinking about you being <laughs> He's not thinking about you being fulfilled by what you are doing. See what happens is we, we we get to this place where we say, if I can just do this then I'll be happy. And there's 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 a reality that 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 there's some truth in that. But it's limited if you're only including in the equation your happiness being the end goal. Are y'all hearing me? F joy, fulfillment, purpose only happens when you're giving your lives to others. For the joy set before him. The reality of Jesus his purpose, his ultimate call, what, the reason why God sent him here was only understood when he gave his life for other people. And maybe that's just really, it's really simple, but it's important for you as a Jesus follower to recognize that. Yes, my identity is found in Christ. So what does that mean? Just as he gave of himself, I must do the same. You have an opportunity with these life groups to do life with people. You have an opportunity here at this church to serve people. Not to do tasks, but to serve people. Jesus said, I have come not to be served, but to serve. And you look at the life of Jesus compared to any other spiritual leader or spiritual being across the world, the significance of Jesus is that he gave of himself. And the significance of you and I as Christians versus everybody else in America is that we give of ourselves. That's the only way the world will know. They won't know by what we know. They will know by what we give. So I want, to, I want you to be challenged today to you, if you haven't uh, signed up for it, where are the Activate Life group leaders? Where are you at? Are you in here, anybody? Would y'all stand up real quick? Hey, can we give it up for these people?
Stay, stay standing for a minute. Stay standing for a minute. You, you guys have a responsibility um, to do life with people, but you have a, a responsibility to reproduce yourself in other people. You have a responsibility to multiply the, the, the things that God has placed in you. So as you're leading your groups this season, I, I, I want to encourage you. Be of the heart that you want to give something that people have need of. I want to encourage you that people, God is going to bring people to you that are, are very... God is not going to bring, in, bring anybody to you by accident. So I would encourage you, be prayerful in this season. Be, be, be prayerful more than you have been in the past because... Uh, we, uh, one of the things we say at our church is we say that life change happens in the context of relationships. God is bringing you, God is bringing you people so that life change can be experienced, so that they can go and be re, and go and reproduce themselves, and so that when they reproduce themselves, there are other people that are reproduced, and then the fold continues to expand. The sheepfold of God continues to expand. God bless you guys. You go ahead and sit down. Needed and known. I alluded to it a little bit. Everybody needs to be needed and known. Find yourself serving. Be found serving, giving of yourself. Not just within the four walls. Yeah, that's great. Look for opportunities to serve your neighbors. Um, there may be people in your family. There may be people in your workplace that you are desiring to invite to church but you just can't muster up the courage to do it. Maybe you've been rejected in the past. I know how tough it is. Believe me, it's tough. I get it too. But you want to know how to invite them to church? Serve them. Serve them. And the Lord will, oh, I promise you if you do that, the Lord will open a door for you to be able to share your faith as you serve. Amen? Would you all stand? We hope this message was impactful to you. If you would like to hear more, please remember to subscribe. For more information, you can visit our pages on both Facebook and Instagram. God bless you, and have a great rest of the week.